0: Hey, what is going on? Happy Monday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Trance who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, Avenue Machinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear, And Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots to get into today, so get your thoughts in. Uh, Obviously, there's some off-ice issues to talk about, uh, which we will touch on in this first segment. Uh, But we'll start on the ice, Drancer. The Canucks, back-to-back wins on the road in Vegas, in San Jose, Perfect 3-0 on, this, 3-0 on this road trip, and now right back in the Western Conference playoff mix as it stands currently one point out of a wild card spot in the Western Conference. Is that how it works, Jamie? What do you mean?
1: Is that how it works? Are you one point out?
0: Or are you X points behind whatever bar or, you, you want to get to? you
1: 24th in the NHL by point percentage? Like, come on. It can be both. No, it can't. Well, it is. It is currently Here's both. Thing. Here's the thing about one point out. It's only a quarter of the season. The playoffs aren't decided or based off of a quarter of the season. So if you extrapolate their pace, they're on pace to be four points out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's be clear about what there's we're talking about. There's still one point out. It's factually correct.
0: You can say, it's and just that not doesn't count works. for much, no, which is fair. How many teams but there's still one point them. out.
1: How many teams are between them and that one point? I mean, you know, it's it's just one point out makes it feel like they're right there. Right there, they're sixth I, in their own division. Yeah, are you, you're,
0: you're, you seem to be reading a lot of things into what I said that I did not say. I said they're one point out, I which know, is again factually we accurate. Have to, we
1: have to be clear about how we talk about this team at this point, right? Because we're not planning parades after us after Who's a successful season. Run. Who's planning the parade? Who's planning the parade? People in the inbox want to not, kill me. I'm not <laughs> planning the parade. You sound like you're planning one point out. One point out. That's not a parade plan. Trust Eyes me. Eyes widening, Trust Jamie. Me. Jamie, I have literally... Confetti falling behind you. Jamie's, Jamie's got his money guns. Mission like, accomplished, his, banner unfurling. Yeah. Your bubble bazooka, like, whoops, zoom, one answer, game out, I have, one point out.
0: I have literally planned the parade for this team in the, the wee hours after they took a 2-0 lead against the Boston Bruins, so I'm not doing it now. Don't okay, worry, I've okay. learned my lesson. Fair I've enough. learned my lesson about
1: planning so the parade. Put down your bubble bazooka. <laughs> put down the money gun. Let's... Uh, Let's be clear. 1 point out 1 point out just makes it sound like they're right there. And they are, but they're not.
0: Well, here's the thing. Okay, here's what I will say to play Devil's advocate they're, against They're 1 against... point
1: back. They're 1 point back of both the Blues and the Wild, right? So yep. there's there's two teams ahead of them there and and tied with the Flames, all of whom have played more games. Or fewer, fewer games, games. Fewer, fewer games. games. So, I mean, they're one point out.
0: They're one point up on Nashville, but Nashville has two games in hand. Yeah, but so Nashville's... They're, they're, Nashville's ahead
1: of them on po- points percentage. But Nashville's not very good. So, you know, anyway, good for the Canucks. This was a great road trip. A great road trip. My favorite game that they played by far was Vegas, in Vegas.
0: Oh, well, that's got to be the game of the
1: year for them.
0: It, it, I mean, you go in and you... To a, a team against a team that has given them specifically so many problems in that building and you have a night like that, you you almost don't even look too much more deeply into it. You're like, well, that's incredible. Good for them. That's w- a really good
1: thing. It was 3 nothing when the shoulders of v- Vegas Golden Knights players slumped, and you knew they had no chance. Just from a body language doctor perspective, you knew at that point that Vancouver had broken them. Not just won the game, broken them. And then what? They poured it on with a couple more. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of some of those nights in 2019-20 when this team first found that offensive gear, right? Hughes' first full season, Elias Petterson's best career season to date, although I suspect not Ooh, for long. Yeah, yeah we, we're, we're <laughs> seeing that not for be long. undone very quickly Very here. quickly um you know and, and obviously Brock Besser was firing right 50 points that year and missed 10 games because of injury and obviously we know what happened once they got to the playoff bubble but there were these nights where they play like Nashville right and they at the end of the game you'd look at the score sheet and you'd be like well they scored four power play goals like they just buried them yeah. under a barrage of five on four goals and then I, I think it was in the next game they played Nashville again this time in Nashville it was only like two weeks later and they scored on their first three power play opportunities <laughs> against Nashville so they were like seven for seven on the power play against the Predators it was like oh Oh my goodness! This is <laughs> this is a fastball they legitimately can't hit. This is Munoz out there, right? They're just like don't, way don't behind bring that them. up. I'm sorry, you're a Jays fan too. Come on, I know. I'm, I'm, Oof. I'm, um, I'm pandering like you. Yes, yes, <laughs> pandering <laughs> to the
0: Mariners fans.
1: So, you know, there are going to be games. I think there's going to be more games like that one for the Vancouver Canucks. Games where. Their power play fastball just legitimately blows a team out of the water on any given night. That's what an elite power play can do. This team has an elite power play. It's the one part of their game that is, in my view, sustainable. Something they can count on. A a real feather in their cap. Not a mirage. And something that, you know, I think as this team goes and wins, you know, enough games to be a 90 plus point team. 85 to 90 points. Probably maybe a few more that's going we're going to see a lot of nights where the power play just roasts feasts and you know that'll be a lot of fun the other wins though i thought on this road trip as a whole but obviously we'll talk about san jose left me a little cooler um you know i, I we talked about the avalanche win and the the p- p- bouncing puck that finds its way to dries's stick and mm. the bear uh point shot lightly screened by Mikhaev. and then that third period against san jose was almost this You know, so I want to. I want to. I have two almost conflicting points to make about this third period, but I want to make them, uh, and I don't actually think they're in conflict. The first is that we saw in a microcosm of twenty minutes the good and the bad of this Canucks season. Right, we saw that Pedersen line take control. Right, the moment the Sharks take the two-one lead, the Pedersen line scores two quick goals, restores Vancouver's lead. And then Vancouver plays some really appalling team defense. I thought, leading to the Luke Kunin tying goal. That was probably one of the most concerning five-minute stretches. But considering the Canucks were playing uh, the second leg second of a back-to-back. back-to-back,
0: it's the third period. It was okay. a quick turnaround, even relative to the normal, you know, second leg of a back-to-back schedule.
1: I probably give them a break, right? You know, I, yeah. so to be totally honest, winning last night was gravy. That's like found money. That if was you, a found if, money, two points. If
0: you come back in the third period in that situation, and you can give all the caveats of you know the team defense that you're talking about, it's just the Sharks, all of that. It's like, well, you still came back I in the mean, third it, period in that situation. That's tough to do. If they, that's if, really if they'd tough lost to 2-1 do.
1: Two one on a power play deflection. We'd be here today, and I'd be like, that was still an incredible road trip. That was a really tough game to win, especially once they get a lucky bounce in the you know first of all to tie it, and then just to score quickly on the power play. So I'm not going to get too much into that. But I did, it did feel like the whole Canucks season in a 20-minute stretch, right? Pedersen dominates. Canucks blow a third-period lead. Other team spends way too much time with the puck at five-on-five five and finds ways to quickly recycle and enter their zone at bullet train speed, ultimately leading to a, sen- leading to a sense of inevitability that the Canucks would surrender a goal, kind of like Canada versus Croatia Oof. maybe in the last Oof. 60 minutes. Uh, but that's what it felt like for about six minutes, right? I was like, oh, boy. All of that said, one thing I really liked from that third period was that the Canucks did to the Sharks something that a lot of teams have done to them to this point in the season, which is the moment the Sharks took the lead, the Canucks showed up and played five really good minutes. And really, it was two concerted shifts from the Pedersen line Mm -hmm. and turned the game on its head. I thought that was a really impressive stretch from a line that is cooking and really has become the story for Vancouver.
0: Well, yeah, and I was going to say, you know, you, and one of the things we always try to do on this show is parse out what's going right in the moment versus what is likely to keep going right and sustainably. Totally. And you're talking about the power play, and I think which I agree with. And I think the thing I would add is Elias Pettersson. Elias Pettersson is, as you said, the story of the season. You know, obviously he's currently, if he keeps this pace up, authoring his best season. In the NHL, and it, really what he's doing now is he's not only playing like a, no doubt about it, number one franchise center. When you look at the elite five-on-five five production, the ability to drive play, contributing on special teams, all of that. And he's starting to be used as it, like it more, right? Like, he's starting to take on more of the heavy matchup minutes. Now, they're on the road, so it's a little well, different.
1: And, I mean, Bruce is, Bruce is using that Nilsham online in matchups a lot. Mm-hmm. He's using them like he used Lameco, Highmore, Mott right? Like that's his line. That's his, that's his, you know, I'm going to punt a matchup line and look, it it works, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and bet against Bruce Boudreau. No one's ever made a lick of money doing that in the regular season, right? So, uh, you know, it works. It works or seems to. It has, it has anyway over the course of, you know, he's only four games away from a full season with the Canucks, 82. So at some point next week, we'll be able to look at Bruce Boudreau's body of work with the Canucks as if it were a full season 82 game season which is going to be interesting right Uh, you know I I suspect we'll probably see that they're about a 95 point team shocker just doing the math in my head that seems almost exactly where we're gonna end up pretty pretty close right (laughs) so but you're right so here's the here's the stat you need to know like here's the stat that tells you everything about this Canucks six game run five wins one loss with Elias Pettersson on the ice five on five, the Canucks have outscored their opponents eight to one Woo! in six games. It's pretty good. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's pretty good. That is outrageous. That is outrageous. That's an 88% <laughs> control of goal events over over the course of, you know, not a, not it's not a big sample, but it's not a tiny sample. It's six games. It's two weeks worth of hockey, eight to one. And it's
0: not, look, not... <laughs> Not every six-game sample is going to look like that for Elias Pettersson, but when you are consistently doing it at the level that he does, you're going to have six-game samples like that in the course of a season, right? Like, you go through all of the elite two-way drivers, whoever you want, you know, Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby, Matthew Kachuk is doing it this year, right? Go down the list. Those guys are going to have stretches like that where the numbers are just completely crooked, completely tilted in their favor, again, over, you know, a week, 10 days, two weeks. Uh, It doesn't mean that's going to happen every two-week sample, but you can kind of expect a certain amount of that from a player like Elias Patterson when they're cl- cooking uh, like he is this year. Yeah,
1: I mean, make no mistake, that's not a sustainable – Sustainable. But it's incredible. I mean, think about it this way. Think about it's, it this it's, way. It,
0: it's not sustainable, but it's not like – Unthinkable in a short sample size. Oh, no, you know what no, I no, mean. No, no,
1: It's it's a credit to that yeah. line. That just, line is cooking,
0: just like Austin Matthews is yeah, going to yeah. go through like you know, a twelve goals and eight games stretch or whatever. Well, you know what I mean? Especially
1: because Pedersen is the rare player who can both set the table and make make uh, do some damage at the feast. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's he's he, maybe you could, maybe you couldn't tell that to look at him, <laughs> but but the boy can put it away. Um, but let's put put it into context this way. Vancouver's power play, which we just described as this legitimate fastball, okay, over the course of this impressive 5-1-0 run, have outscored the opposition by 6. With Pedersen on the ice, at 5-on-5, the Canucks have outscored the opposition by (laughs) 7. The Pedersen line is more dangerous than Vancouver's preposterously (laughs) dangerous power play over the course of the past two weeks. That's how good they've been. It's really hard to, like, it's almost hard to... Uh, properly weight or put into context just how dominant they have been. Now, now, you may be expecting because it's me that I've got a butt. What? To put here somewhere. No. Yeah, Yeah, butts butts in the seats, butts at the end of my praise. Okay? But, here's my concern. The Vancouver Canucks over the course of this six-game stretch are converting on 13% of their five on five goals with Elias Pettersson's line on the ice. It's about 16% with Andre Kuzmenko on the ice. It's so that's 20% 20% shots. of shots yeah. Yeah, yeah. at five on five connects as a team are at 13%. That's the best in the NHL. And it's the best in the NHL by over a percentage point. Not close. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like the same percentage debates we were having toward the, mm-hmm. uh, over the extended Bruce there, it is run toward the balance last season. The Canucks at this point, to me, are one of those boom and bust teams, right? The highs are incredibly high because the talent is evident, right? That's why every year we come into the season and people struggle to understand how it could possibly unravel on a group with this much star talent. Like, oh my God, JT Miller, Bo Horvat, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes. Like, man, they're going to be great. Look at them on paper. And then the games start being played and the Canucks aren't that good. And people are like, man, ah!" right? It's... This team becomes very difficult to see clearly, which is why you know one point out you know i'm gonna I'm gonna make us define our terms here. We need to be really careful and clear about what we're talking about. What I like about this run that the Canucks are on is that it's put them back into a place where we can have fun discussing how good a hockey team is, which like at the end of the day, Jamie, I think you're the same. I think this is why our show works so well. It's why I missed you on Friday when you were out. <laughs> Is it the lies,
0: pure lies? Absolutely. not. I mean, also I'd love to say that the feeling was reciprocated. (laughs) How dare you?
1: (laughs) But at the end of the day, I'm just a guy who likes to just like, I like to watch a lot of hockey. I like to look at a lot of hockey data. And then I like to debate at nauseum, ad nauseum, which players are good and which teams are good. And how good are those teams? Like, that's what I like to do. And the Canucks have, the Canucks have put themselves back in the conversation where we can kind of have that conversation. Now, I don't think we stopped having that conversation, ever it's just that the conversation became twisted a little bit by the anger in the market at this team disappointing again
0: it is really hard to sustain that specific conversation and by the way i I, we might have to change the name of the show to uh which teams are good which players are good and how good how good are they it really really just rolls off the tongue (laughs) we need like theme music for this segment but it's really hard to sustain that conversation when one a team that had playoff expectations and set playoff expectations for themselves very, very clearly rapidly falls out of the race. And two, when it happens in identical fashion to the two previous seasons that we've already seen it happen. It's just very, very hard to sustain that, that pure game by game. Here's what's working. Here's what's not. Here's what they should try. Right. It's really hard to sustain that conversation.
1: So I sort of see this like, you know, um, you can play the like lowered expectations theme music over which players are good, which teams are good, and yes. how good are they? Right, that's the new that's the segment. Um, I sort of see this all as a pyramid, and I've talked about this before. Right, at the tops of the Stanley Cup, one rung down a little bit fatter. You got the mm-hmm. uh, you got the winning play, winning in the playoffs a little bit a little bit fatter. You got getting to the playoffs, yep. and then you know you get to you get to closer to the bottom, and you've got like a good road trip, a good week. What does this win matter? What does this What does this six game streak, in which the Canucks have sort of salvaged their season, what does that mean? What does that tell us? And then at the very bottom, you've got like the small habits, the rudimentary stuff, the outshooting teams, right? the The control of play at five on five, the having good goaltending, the power play, the penalty kill, all the components that go into winning a shift, right? A, a game, uh, a week, yep. as Bruce Boudreau might have a put road it last trip, year, etc. Right. Yeah, and so. Let's start. Let's start. Let's start at the top for us. For us, right? Because our analysis has been predicated throughout this season, and you know, and and I'm leading the charge. I'm not trying to implicate you by, um, you know, um, what, what's it called? Implicate you by your familiar association. Association. Thank you. Um, wow, I just had the Homer wordiness tape. Like, what's the spoon or the shovel that digs food? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, top of the pyramid. Can this team win a Stanley Cup? Uh, no. Okay. This year, no. Can they win the playoffs?
0: Can they win how much of the playoffs? They can win a round in the playoffs.
1: You think? Okay, so you but 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 you know that's a lot. of There's a lot of randomness to that. Can anything happen in in round one? In a round, absolutely, absolutely it can. Okay, so you think this team is good enough if they made it there to win a round?
0: Yes, but and I feel like you're you're giving no 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 I'm really you're giving me leading questions. Yes, but that's a lower bar but I think. Yes, my goodness. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have some legal talk. Um. Oh. That's a lower bar, and I think a lot of people. I think that's a lower bar than it sounds when you first hear it. You know what okay, I mean? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That, fair that's enough. what That's how I would you're characterize they can
1: it. Lucky to a series win. Yeah, you can. There, okay. There's a lot of randomness in okay. one series. Can they make the playoffs? I think this is where it's like maybe. Right. I'm. I'm. I'm probably a maybe on the flip side of the coin. Forty-five percent. You're a maybe with fifty-five percent. Yeah. You although that's, that before the season. That's
0: been downgraded at this that's point. That's because you're right? the
1: optimistic one. It's true. <laughs> okay, and so then we get then we get down. Is this team capable of winning games? And and what's been sort of one of our arguments over the course of the past two weeks, one of our very polite arguments where you're at 55%, not yes, 45%, yes. and we pretend it's a major clash when it's really just different shadings of gray, has been my, you know my insistence, this team's going to get on a run. We're going to see this team win. We're still going to see this team get to 85-plus mm-hmm. points. I've been pretty steadfast about that. I expected it to look... Uh, to be done with maybe the percentages that they're back in terms of goaltending as opposed to their five on five shooting percentage. But nonetheless, percentage based, this team can still win. So, does the stuff that well, we're seeing at the bottom of the pyramid from the last six games, and I want to hear from our listeners too on the 650 650 Dunbar Lumber text box, just wanted to say that so that I could uh, prove that I could. <laughs> does what you've seen over the last six games. The, the, the base of the pyramid that we've seen from this team over the last two weeks change how you're looking up, change how you're looking at the top?
0: No, it doesn't. The only thing that's changed for me, right, because we had this conversation a little bit when they were in the absolute depths of me kind of saying, I think like a bottom 10, bottom eight type finish is on the table. And the reason why I thought that was not necessarily because of the talent on the team, but my concern about basically the drama, the vibes around the right. team, just kind of being fatally off and just sinking the season after like 15 games. Right now that hasn't happened. And I think the other part, you know, we're talking about Elias Pettersson, uh, We're talking about the team's power play. I think the other thing they have that's fairly as stable as something like this can be that's working in their favor is they have Bruce Boudreau behind the bench. And I think he deserves a ton of credit right now for keeping this team just like emotionally afloat in very, very difficult circumstances for Bruce Boudreau. And that's something that no, no disrespect to Boudreau, but just based on what we've seen from this team, I wasn't convinced that was going to happen. You know, I saw a lot of downside risk just based on the bottom falling out in terms of everything surrounding the team. Now, if that doesn't happen, I would probably revert back to my kind of preseason 95, 96 point expectation for the pace of this team. Right. Which is, within that prediction incorporates weeks like this or, or stretches like this.
1: Uh, Do you you remember when the Canucks first acquired Ethan bear and there was a scrum? Do you remember this? And I asked Bruce about how you go about building Ethan bear up, considering he's been a healthy scratch for 21 straight games, dating back to the playoffs and Boudreaux's eyes widen. Right. And first he goes 21 games. Like, I don't think he quite had understood just how long bear had been out. And then and then he sort of did the math in his head very quickly and pivoted and said, well, building guys back up, that's, I know how to do that. <laughs> like, like if you're, if, First of all, if you're going to bet against Bruce Boudreaux, don't. That's lesson one. Lesson two, if you're going to bet against Bruce Boudreaux, don't, but especially not when it's a topic of, of emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? Bruce Boudreaux navigating this, joking about it, turning it into a positive, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you part of the narrative, too, like as the Boudreaux rumors sort of extrapolated, then the player rumors extrapolated. Mm -hmm. And then I I can promise you it's us against the world and I'm one of you. You know, all of a sudden it changes sort of the entire dynamic uh, of what this team's vibe is. How do you weather bad vibes around your organization as a whole? By keeping them out of the room, By, by explaining that that's without, not within. In some ways, Boudreaux was empowered to do that by the scuttlebutt around him. You know, and and I mean, he's not one to waste an opportunity like that. He's been around enough. He's a vibes coach. You think he's not going to capture the vibes? You think he's not going to be sensitive to the vibes? Of course he is. Anyway, sorry. So for me, this is sort of where w- what I get concerned about. A, a boomer bus team. That when the percentages are in their favor, like this six-game win streak, the 57 games at the end of last season, required that the Canucks be at the absolute apex of the league by... Percentages. By a percentage-based category that tends not to last, right? That tends to be ephemeral. When the percentages... This team has shown us that they're good at running downhill, right? But when you get to the Pyrenees stage of the Tour de France, the, the, the Tour de France that is an 82-game season, uh-huh. right? Right. They fall behind. They're not wearing the yellow jacket, right? They 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 might be wearing the yellow jacket on the sprint through Provence, but once you get to the mountain stages, you know maybe they should try blood doping. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, with regards to and I
0: need to add a disclaimer to the podcast, do we? <laughs> did that analogy no, go too no, far? No, I'm joking. It was obviously um, a joke. Yeah,
1: uh, very clearly. The no, no, you see what I'm saying, though. Once you get to those climb stages, once they get to these parts of the season where the bounces aren't going their way, what do they have left? And this is why this run, to me, does nothing to change my view, right? I expected this team to win games. I expected this team to be pretty good. And yet the way that they've won these games specifically – you know, we're looking at a team that's been number one in the NHL by conversion rate. And if you think about some of these wins, it's not that all their the bounces have gone in their favor. You think about that no. b- bouncer yeah. off Thatcher Demko. <laughs> all-timer. Er- all-timer. all-timer yeah. Especially when his game hasn't been at at tip-top, right? But you think about all of the deflections that hit the back of the net. You think about the puck that finds its way to Sheldon Dries. You think about uh, the Mckayev goal, the Mckayev go-ahead goal in the third period last night where the ball's just, or the p- ball, the puck's just pinballing around the zone and, and ends up right on his stick, uh, ticker tape, right into the net. Um, those are the sorts of bounces that aren't going to keep finding the back of the net five on five. And once that bottom falls out a bit, what are the Canucks left with? Right now, they're left with one forward line. One forward line that over the course of this six-game win streak is plus 50%, is in the black by expected goal differential, right? Everyone else, you, do you know the next closest player outside of those three who's been a regular the last six games?
0: Forward or any player? No, it's player. a defenseman.
1: Any player. I bet you will guess it, actually. Is it, is it all of reckman No, it's Ethan Bear. Okay, yeah. Ethan Bear, followed narrowly by uh, Kyle Burrows. Okay. 46%. Okay, so this team overall is at 42% control of expected goals and is reeling off a 5-1-0 because the shooting percentage wind is at their back. At some point, if you're going to win sustainably over 82, if you're going to create the sort of team that can move up the pyramid credibly, that can actually aim for the top of it, you need to be able to control games and buttress yourself effectively against the slings and arrows of of the hockey gods ill favor which comes and goes which comes and goes this team's issue has been that when the fates have smiled on them they've been fooled into seeing something that's not there and this win streak is just another example another example where yeah great when the canucks are the luck are getting the most conversion uh, shooting luck in the league at five on five they can really win oh boy look at this they can turn the corner uh, If you can't have that solid foundation, Canucks hockey operations might call it structure. If you don't have that solid foundation, then you're still going to be vulnerable to those seven-game stretches that end your season. Right? You can still hit high highs, but your lows are too low. And if you don't have that baseline, that rhythmic baseline of control at 5-on-5, you're not going to be able to win over the course of 82 enough. To be a, an elite team, much less a team that can win multiple playoff rounds.
0: And that's the difference between this stretch changing the long-term outlook, the future outlook, right, for not just the rest of this season but beyond that for this team, and changing the playoff math, which it does. Like oh, There's yeah. no dispute there. They're meaningfully in the playoff mix right now. We can have the kind of semantic argument about no. one point back or whatever, no, no, no. but they've, it's hugely improved their playoff
1: chances. They've put themselves close to where we would have expected. Right now, it's just like a normal that you win six of seven or five of six and you're back to like where you should have been without having really messed up the first two and a half weeks of the season. Right now, they are back to maybe slightly dented from where we would have expected them to be after 21 games. They put themselves back to where we thought they'd be, which is, you know, moderately on the outside looking in, but certainly in. The nearest chase pack oh, yeah. in the play, Very much
0: so in yeah. that chase pack in the Western Conference. No question. 650-650 uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll take a break in a minute, but we'll just go a little bit long here. I, I alluded to it uh, off the top of the show. The off-ice story surrounding the Vancouver Canucks that uh, a lot of people across the NHL are paying attention to right now, of course, involves Rachel Dory and a, a complaint she made to the BC Human Rights Tribunal, uh, including alle- allegations of discrimination in her job with the Canucks on the basis of sex and mental mental and physical disability. So of course, Rachel Dory was hired by Jim Rutherford, I believe in January of this year in the analytics department with the team. She was, as we understand it going to be promoted or was promoted uh, to be a part of Bruce Boudreaux's coaching staff before this season. Uh, She was let go by the team without much further comment shortly after training camp in Whistler. Uh, We didn't know much about the story at the time, uh, Rachel Dory shared on social media a, a copy of the complaint she's made to the BC Human Rights Tribunal. So as I said, it names the Canucks, Canucks Sports and Entertainment, and Emily Castingay, of course, an assistant general manager with the Canucks. It names both of them specifically as as defendants uh, in, this, in this issue, again, alleging discrimination in her job on the basis of sex and a mental and physical disability. It relates to... Uh, In large part, and you can read it, you can find it on Rachel Dory's Twitter feed or at the Human Rights Tribunal website, I believe, as well, Uh, relates to comments that Castongay made about Dory's ability to do the job and also some of her interactions with the media. Uh, And again, these are all allegations. They haven't been proven. The Canucks will have their chance to respond. Uh, But basically, it goes on to say that uh, she was let go as a kind of a result of these issues and after raising it with HR and that uh, this act con. Uh, his act was essentially discrimination. Uh, she's seeking compensation for lost wages, compensation for injuries uh, to her dignity, in addition to some other things. So that is the latest uh, in the Rachel Dory matter. And I should also mention the Canucks and Emily Gaston have also released statements denying the allegations, and they will have the opportunity to uh, file a response with the Human Rights Tribunal.
1: Yeah. this This is one of those stories where we have to be careful because we are at the start of a process that could be yep. very long. The wheels of uh, justice or, or human rights tribunals, as, as in this case, uh, move slowly. Uh, so we're probably going to be tracking this for an awfully long time. And, you know, I, I think more than anything, you can't read that story and, and, and read the account of the struggles, the mental and physical struggles mm-hmm. that Rachel was enduring without having a, a sense of sympathy. And, and more than that, I, I do think it's good that there are levers with which to, um, you know, address these sorts of matters uh, both in public, but also through the system, um, you know, I, I think that's a welcome relief, particularly with some of the stories we've seen uh, about what silence can do—the the deleterious impact of that on hockey culture generally over the course of the past two years. So uh, we'll let this play out without opining at too great a length, because it, yeah. it, this is we're in for we're in for a long haul story here, uh, typically speaking. Yeah,
0: look, we cover the Canucks, so we're going to get you the update and the factual. Update about what is actually happening yep. right now, the allegations, the specifics of the allegations. We're going to do that. It's not a conversation starter. It's not a debate piece. It's not, as you said, a, a, an opportunity for opining. It is just kind of a a factual update. So again, that's the uh the kind of rundown of the allegations made in the complaint to the Human Rights Tribunal. Again, denied by both Emily Castlingay and the Canucks. Uh, they'll have a, their opportunity to respond, and then, as you said, your answer. The process will play out and we will see where this story goes obviously as any further updates happen uh, you will hear about them here Uh, more Canucks talk coming up on the other side Gemma Carson-Smith is going to join us in a little bit we'll take some of your texts on the other side as well it is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strantz, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I also want to uh, tell you quickly here about the City News 1130 and the great big give holiday Breakfast. So, this is on Friday, December 2nd. That's this Friday uh, from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, you can kick off the holiday season with a loving spoonful and City News 1130 for a delicious breakfast by donation. It's a minimum of $5. It's this Friday, again, at the Fountain. Uh, or sorry, this Friday, December 2nd, at the Fountainhead Pub, anytime between 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Everyone who attends will have a chance to win a fabulous door prize. City News 1130 will be on location. You can drop by, you can make your holiday donation uh, for a possible opportunity to be on air. That's very exciting. All donations will help support the A Loving Spoonful programs and a New Kitchen. Uh, You can get the details on the events page at citynews.ca Again, that's Friday, this Friday, December 2nd, 6am to 10am at the Fountainhead Pub. Great opportunity to uh, give back a little bit here at the start of the holiday season. Uh, Keep your texts coming in and you know, Drancer, we talked about it in that segment about whether or not it changes your long-term perspective of the team, just winning winning a few games, going on a run, it, it allows for so many more different discussions. And, you know, we talked about Elias Pettersson, and when I just look at it personally, I'm really happy the team is winning so we can give some shine to Elias Pettersson, and we can focus and talk about... What a great season he's having. He can get that notoriety around the league, right? Where when somebody else talks about the Canucks, it's not, are they going to trade Bo Horvat?" It's, hey, Elias Pettersson is tied for the most five-on-five goals in the league. That's really impressive, right? But that's fun. Those are the really fun conversations to have.
1: Boy, Elias Pettersson is really killing it. And also, are they going to trade Bo (laughs) Horvat?
0: Not that trade conversations aren't fun. They are. That's the conversation. They are also very fun to have. But... It's nice to
1: get the actual on-ice stuff no, in is. there as it well. it is. It's a good opportunity to talk about some of the little things that have changed, um, you know, around this team, too, to enable them to get winning, to get moving in the right direction a little bit, right? And, you know, I think for me, anyway, a big part of that conversation starts with Ethan Bear. Yes. Right? Now, for all that Ethan Bear has stabilized the Oliver-Eckman-Larsen pair, I thought OEL had his best game of the year last night. Against San Jose. I
0: OEL, I didn't love his game in uh, Colorado. I know he picked up a couple of assists, but there has been a noticeable upward trajectory. Yeah. Now, from a very low floor, <laughs>
1: from what we saw no, from him uh, earlier in the season, but he was physically engaged. He yeah. had that deke late in the third period. That was the most dynamic play he's made all season. I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that. So, I am I'm, I liked OEL's game. I think Bear's been a boon to him. Here's another guy, too, I, I want to... Bring up really quickly. Do you know who was second on the Canucks behind Quinn Hughes in five on five ice time last night? Who? Kyle Burrows. That's how it goes. Do you think he should be in the lineup? That's how it goes. I think he should be in the lineup, Jamie. Gonna, yeah, I would I'm, say so. I'm going to tell you this right now. I think Kyle Burrows should not leave the lineup. Yeah, I cert- i mean, certainly not. And I know you know I know you've
0: you've defended Riley Stillman to a certain degree, but like, certainly not for Riley Stillman.
1: Oh, there's other guys. There's other guys who also should not be coming out of the lineup ahead of Kyle Burroughs. Kyle Burroughs is one of this team's four best defensemen. I, I don't I, you know, I'm sorry if you're if you're offended by that, but it's true. Kyle Burroughs like it's not it's not Kyle Burroughs should for sure play over Riley Stillman, although although I tend to agree with you, there's other guys too that he should play ahead of, right? Uh, anyway, Ethan Bear had one really nice play last night that I noticed just because it was the sort of play that Canucks defenders haven't made uh, mm. nearly enough of. Uh, Puck is dumped in to the Canucks zone, and Ethan Bear cleanly beats the oncoming forechecker back to get it. The forechecker, however, still is in deep, and there's another guy on the wall. So there's uh, he's on the wall. There's a guy to his right coming from behind the net, and there is a guy to his left, meaning that if he tries to go glassing out, in that position, probably getting picked down, and the Sharks will establish a cycle. And Ethan Bear makes a quick spin pass instead into the middle of the ice. A more dangerous spot to put mm-hmm. it, but makes the pass effectively. Pedersen gathers. The Canucks get going the other way. An innocuous play. Maybe you didn't even notice it. Maybe you did. It's just the sort of play that this team hasn't had nearly enough of from defenders, not named Quinn Hughes over the course of the season. Like this team has struggled so hard to get pucks just moving in the right direction on a consistent basis. And what, what happens as a result is that this team's attack can get strangled at the stem. Like you can cut it off at the stem right before it even gets started. And, And when this team has really played poorly, think about those first seven games, you think about, um, you know the the games that we've watched weeks worth of games where like JT Miller never seems to have the puck 5 on 5 in the offensive end right and and one thing i've always brought up about that he doesn't get passes in stride they mm-hmm. don't get moving the right way ethan bear can send those passes in stride he can get the puck moving the right way he can turn get the puck make the f- clean first pass and 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 help everyone like he helps you create an environment where you're more likely to outscore your opponent than surrender the next goal the Canucks don't have enough defensemen that do that consistently. That's been a huge boon for this team. And, you know, there's an interesting dynamic going on here because, you know, Bear is expiring mm-hmm. with a high QO and Arbright's. And and as I thought through, like, what are some of the changes that this team has made that have enabled this run to look really good, right? Like one, one item that comes to mind, you know, outside of the Pedersen line, is once Horvat and Miller got put together, uh, this team had a top six that started to be pretty imposing, right? All of a sudden, those JT Miller, Bo Horvat minutes, which the Canucks were losing their matchup in night after night, uh, turned. Now, by expected goals, that group's still been sort of soft.
0: There, there's there been some real wild swings if you just look at kind of expected goals or scoring chances. Like, yeah. some nights it's looked great by those metrics. Some nights it's looked really not good. <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> but on the whole, on the whole, like, they're plus 50% by uh, shot attempt differential over the course of the six-game run. And they're in the black by scoring chance differential, uh, according to Cam Chiron's numbers anyway, mm. with Horvat and Miller together. They're about 55% with Horvat and Miller together over the course of the season. That's a good rate. That's a very good clip. That's two forward lines that can control play territorially. If that if that persists, that's the sort of thing that can rise like cause these boats to rise. That can really give the Canucks a chance to be good enough at five on five to really eat when the bounces go their way and, and hopefully maybe even to not get slaughtered to when the bounces go against to them. To
0: raise the floor on the lows a little bit. Which right? that's which what you that's they what you're need trying to do. To do which yeah. they
1: desperately need to do. Now Horvath and Miller together, this is, again, per Camshron's data, 55% control of expected uh, goal or scoring chances together. You know what that number goes to with Niels Hoaglander on their wing? Something really big. 68. It's pretty good. 68%. So I think Niels Hoaglander should stay there for a bit. I think Niels Hoaglander has found a place in the lineup. You know what I like about it, too? And
0: just kind of from a purely kind of theoretical standpoint, what's Niels Hoglander really good at doing? Recovering the puck and creating scoring chances.
1: Having his game be perfect to set to the soundtrack of Woody Woodpecker laughing.
0: (laughs) Right? High energy on the forecheck, turns pucks over, wins those board battles. Not good at converting chances, right? Typically, that's that's not what we've seen from him. That, that, you know, creates a lot of chances, but the production isn't always there. JT Miller and no. Bo Horvat really good at finishing chances when they get them. Really good at f- converting a high rate of their chances. So just from that standpoint, okay, he's going to be the energy guy who gets them the puck.
1: They're going to do the finished product. They're going to take care of the rest of it. I like so, the fit. So you're saying you're saying JT Miller and Bo Horvat need someone to set the table. Yes, because they can definitely eat. Oh yeah, they. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, man, that. By the way, order that, order the, a third extra large pizza. Miller and Horvat the are taking the Deke and pass. From,
0: from Miller oh, yeah. right in front of the net to Horvath. And that Very was off stopped. the Hoaglander uh, yeah. pass to, yeah. to Miller, Sorry, right? And that's the Vegas game, right? That's in Vegas? Like, yeah. That was oh, the, my goodness. That was
1: the fifth the fifth goal, right? That, that was, was what it
0: is. And it's like right as the period's expiring. That and it was, was the oh. Christian
1: Watson 75-yard
0: touchdown. <laughs> Just like the, you know. So, anyways, you got a guy who can get them the puck
1: and let them do things like that? All right, cool. That that works. So, Hoaglander's elevation for me is an undertold story. Like, what's enabled the Canucks to get back on track, Doing bunny ears because you know underlying profile. I still have serious concerns, but not arguing nor taking anything away from the team having won five or six. So we've got Kyle Burrows coming in the lineup. We've got Ethan Bear uh, stabilizing that Oliver ekman Larson, Parent, King, the Canucks in mm-hmm. transition. We've got Niels Hoglander coming and being an unheralded part of getting that Miller Horvat line uh, to work truly five on five. How about Andrei Kuzmenko? Oh boy, yep, he is so fun to watch. He's he's given the Canucks a third player who like I just love to watch play. You know like there's players that are good, like there's players that I recognize are good. I like his people. Um you know like I I believe strongly no none of our listeners will be surprised to hear this in in guys like Bohorvat, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think Bohorvat's a really really good player. But in terms of guys that I like watch even with my like cynical uh critic style, right? Like, you know, uh, un- unmoved by most uh swings in the game and-, and just most human emotions, frankly. Um The guys who I'm like, oh, oh, wow, oh, wow. The guys who sort of make me gasp when I'm watching from the press box. Right. Hughes, Pettersson, and now Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko just thinks the game in a totally unique way. The passes, the East-West passes that he's able to thread are unlike anything I've really ever seen. And then we know the wrist shot plays in space at this point when he has time and space, like he did on the overtime winner last night, I just know that wrist shots going in. Like it's almost automatic. So long as he's got the the time and space, he's figured out how to win more battles along the wall. That's opened up his playmaking game in the zone. I think,
0: Beyond the just winning battles, too, he seems to have he has a better idea now, which makes perfect sense as he's adjusted to the NHL. He has a better idea of how quickly his time and space is going to go away. Not to say right. that it's perfect, no, no, yet, no, but it used to be. I think guys were getting on him pretty fast when he had the puck, and all of a sudden you're in space, you you think you're going to have a chance to make a play, and then it's gone. And I think this is a credit to
1: his intelligence and the way he thinks the game. You can see him adjusting to that. Well, especially because at training camp and in the preseason, I was like, oh boy, I don't know if he's going to be able to play at the at a high enough pace. Yeah, And he figured it out so that by the time five games into the season, you'd already seen the improvement. And then 10 games into the season, you saw a significant leap beyond that. And now 21 games into the season, certainly over the last five games, he's looked like the master. He's looked like the chess master out there. This is a guy who is absolutely not just a product of what Elias Pettersson is doing. He is enabling that line to hit a different level. Right? Like he is not the passenger on that line. In fact, he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting through the neutral zone, and his east west passing has made what Pedersen's able to bring, what Pedersen's able to do, that much more dynamic. They've found a real fit there with Kuzmenko. So we've talked about Kuzmenko. We've talked about Bear. We've talked about Burroughs. We've talked about Hoaglander. We shouldn't mention Bohorvat just like leading the NHL in scoring. Still keeps scoring. Yeah. (laughs) Doing his thing. Scoring goals. All right. What do those players have in common, Jamie?
0: All without contracts beyond this year in various forms, either RFAs
1: or UFAs. Ouch. So this sort of brings us to, you know me, I like to be repetitive. I like to stick within my wheelhouse. I like to continue to develop the themes that we've been sticking on, right? Like one thing that I've continually <laughs> That's such a on. nicer way of saying it than being repetitive. We're just continuing to develop some themes here. <laughs> I'm, I like it. I, uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I know. Repetition I know. is a key part of storytelling. <laughs> I know. I agree. <laughs> Go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Now, well, no, I kind of did, but I'm, Now I'm mad at you. <laughs> um, no, I could never be. Uh, so I saved that. You, you ha- get mad at me and not the other way around. Yes. Um, one concern that I've had about the construction of this team from a cap perspective is there's a real chance that this is the best group we ever see surrounding... Pettersson and Hughes in their prime. And and part of what I mean by that is, you know, almost all of these guys are going to require a raise to keep, right? And how do you find that cap space when only Horvat is expiring as, like, a meaningful cap hit, right? I mean, Kuzmenko's entry-level deal, 925K, Bears 2, 2.2, but he's 1.8 to mm-hmm. the Canucks because of the retention. Um, Burroughs is league min, He's not even know he's only he's on a two-way contract. Pretty sure this is the last two-way contract he's gonna sign for at least the next couple of years. Um, you know, Niels Hoaglander, ELC expiring. All of these guys are gonna get prohibitively more expensive. Like even Niels Hoaglander is a two, two and a half million dollar player based on his statistical comparables. Andre Kuzmenko, I have no idea what his next contract looks like. You know, you can't. Oh man, who like who
0: even knows? No, you really.
1: I mean I mean, you know me. I'm armed with my data yes. set. I'm armed with my spreadsheet. I'm armed with my comps. Find me a twenty six year old that has debuted in the NHL and scored at a forty point eight or forty goal, eighty point pace, because that's what Kuzmenko's on pace to do right now. Like, what does that look like? I can't even tell you what that looks like. Right? I mean, Artemi Panarin was 25. He came in. He had a two-year ELC. The second of those seasons, he scored 76 points and then signed a two-year, two million-dollar or two two-year six million-dollar deal and then maxed out as a UFA. But he was an RFA. Mm. He was an RFA with our You could say Kaprizov. Kaprizov was a 10.2 C. He wasn't even a free agent. He had only one option. It was nine million times five. Um. I mean. I don't. I just. I have no idea. I have no idea how you price out. A player who's only going to have you know a seventy-nine game sample uh, of of career production, uh, and who never previously played in the NHL. Like I, I honestly have no idea if he keeps this up. If he's a th- let's let's not even say he keeps this pace up. Let's say he's a thirty goal, sixty point guy. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's at least a six million dollar player. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I would think. I would think. Plus, he's a full UFA. Like I just, there is no analogy. There is no I can't tell you what he should make. I can't tell you what the what the comparables are for. Like you know, most of the guys that earn six million are like. Even think about a guy like Brock Besser, six point six times three. Well, it's also just such a different path oh, no, right? because yeah, Brock Besser was a first round pick. But also, but also, you know, go go look at his career track record. It's like two hundred fifty points over three hundred thirty games. You know, it's like, oh yeah, okay, that's a lot of scoring over a lot of games.
0: Yeah, and you again, know? there's there's a. Brock Besser followed a very traditional path, right? First round pick comes sure. in after bridge out of deal. college, yeah, yeah. you know, okay. like scores at a very impressive rate. Bridge deal, it's like okay, that that fits a mold we all understand. We all picture how that goes in our head, right? It's different. It's completely different with Andre Kuzmenko, and it makes it so much more difficult because you can say, well, he's coming out of his entry level deal, but it's one year, right? It's he's a lot older than most guys coming out of his entry level deal. It's just there's no kind of quick beyond even the the kind of brass tax dollars and cents issues of a comparable. There's not even any just, Oh yeah, this is how it goes before. This is how it usually goes in these
1: situations to fall back on. No, I mean, we have no idea what it looks, what it looks like at all. And then you've got Horvat who again, you know, I mean, I can tell you the comparables, right? Like I can tell you Tomas hurdle, Sean Couturier, like I can give you those comparables. Um, You can throw Ryan Nugent Hopkins at me in in reverse and i'll laugh at you but you know I, I, even there what's the, the thing about couturier and hurdle is their statistical comparables right close in career points uh, per game mm-hmm. centerman blah 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 they signed with their teams they signed extensions if horvat hits the open market as the guy who took the most draws in the entire league won 58% of them and scored 40. He's on pace for 60 right now, but let's say 40. Well, 20, 28 year old center who wins draws like that and is a 40 goal scorer? We, I've, I've yeah. never seen it. Who knows? <laughs> who knows man <laughs> it's uh an absolute bonanza potential for, uh, for we'll, Bo we'll finish this discussion on the in the fourth segment because we've got Gemma carson smith coming up yeah i want to run through some of the other names that we talked about there and look look to the future of well, them because i think there's some interesting and, and we got to talk priorities and we got to talk deadline and we got to talk what this team should do if they keep winning yeah absolutely
0: uh jemma carson smith from the canadian press is going to join us up next uh, more canucks talk it is sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canuck's Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Trance. Canuck's Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. And of course, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Continue to get your thoughts in. Now, joining us, as she does every Monday, to uh, take a spin through some of the most interesting quotes and sound bites from the past week around the Canucks, she covers the team for the Canadian press. She is our pal, Gemma Karsten Smith. Gemma, thanks as always. How are you?
2: I'm wonderful. How are you guys? We're doing
0: great. I think. You know, we're, some people call us a negative show sometimes, but it feels good to talk about a team that's won a few games in a row. I don't know how you feel covering the team, but it, it's it's a nice change of pace, right, Gemma?
2: I am so stoked to be back in the ring tomorrow. Honestly, everyone's just going to be, like, so much happier and uh... – I'm just so excited for the dark clouds to part for <laughs> at least a moment. Yeah, it's
0: a beautiful sunny day here in Vancouver. It's uh, it's fantastic. It's good vibes for the most part um, right now, at least on the ice with the Vancouver uh, Canucks. All right, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get into it with you first up, Thatcher Dempko, who gets a big win for himself uh, last night in San Jose.
2: Yeah, is he not the guy who breathed the biggest sigh of relief last night? We're 22 games into the season he's finally got his third win. Uh, Not a great stat, but here we are. And uh, here's what he thought of the team's performance against the Sharks.
0: It's a big win. That's one of the ones that we probably haven't gotten yet this year. Where
2: You know, we, we maybe did some things wrong, but stuck together as a group and found a way to win.
0: What have you made just generally of how Demko has handled and gone about his business in the midst of, you know, some adversity we haven't really seen from Demko since he's been in Vancouver?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's been really interesting. The thing that really jumped out at me from his uh, post-game comments last night was how he was talking about how while he's been trying to get his game back, he's also been trying to help Martin out in any way he can. And I thought that was interesting. Um, he said that the guys have really rallied behind Martin. So he knows that this has become a job share, that he's not uh, – there's, there's a 1A and a 1B right now. And uh, on any given night, he might not be the, the 1A. I think that's probably taken uh, – um, some getting used to for him, he's, he's a guy who got a Vesna vote last year. And to, to now be sharing his job, that's got to be a weird situation to be in. But uh, it's good to see him uh, being very thoughtful about it and, and saying at least that he's, he's going to support uh, whoever's going to lead this team to a win.
1: What do you think he meant by that was the type of win they haven't got? Did you read anything into that? Um, like we, this is the type of win we haven't got this year. Was that uh sort of personal, like uh, the type of win I haven't got, or do you think he was talking about sort of the wider team context?
2: I think he was talking about the wider team context. That was a win where they had the early lead. They gave it up. Um, the Sharks tied it with about six minutes left to go, but they still, the Canucks hung on to get the full two points. I think uh, if, if, you look back earlier in the season or even like a week ago, um, you see them give up in a very similar game. Um, That game was not a perfect one by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, they're coming off a back-to-back, there's travel, there's a five o'clock game, all those things. So there are reasons, but it, it was a game where they kind of fought through some adversity and that's not something that they've done a lot this season. They've, given up in the face of adversity a heck of a lot this season and I think that what Demko meant was that it was nice to see them actually push through
0: well and not only does the team fight through a little bit right but I mean Demko got just an all-time bad goal against with the one oh, that yeah. deflects oh, a couple yeah. times and pops up over uh over uh, his head and into the net so just I think to see him kind of battle through that and still have an overall strong performance was pretty important too
2: for sure I think that's something that he needed we've seen a lot of bad bounces go his way this year. Um, And I think we've seen those bad bounces defeat him. So to watch him, like you said, battle through that and and collect the full two points for the team is is huge. Uh, I think that, like you were saying, Trance, it's not... Uh, just the entire team that did it. It was him that did it too. It's both a a macrocosm and a microcosm. Look at this.
0: (laughs) Uh, Up next uh, on our quotes, Jeva, it is uh, first of two from the head coach, Bruce Boudreau.
2: Yeah, so before the Canucks headed out on this uh, three-game road swing, Boudreau had some really interesting things to say about players concentrating on doing their own jobs. Uh, Let's listen to his comments.
1: Some guys try to do too much, and I think they... This group tries to do too much because they want everything to work out well, and and just uh, understanding the process of what happens. If you just do your job, do it right, and usually good things
2: good things happen after that.
1: Mm. Gemma, what was what do you think he was getting at there? Do you think there was something pointed, perhaps?
2: I, I think that he was probably. Thinking of a few different guys while he was making those statements, but it, it was probably a, also a total team um, generalization there. That um, there's a lot of guys trying to help out when they need to be focusing on on <laughs> their own dang roles on the team. Uh, maybe we don't need to be trying to make the the big cross ice pass um, mm. when someone's out of position. Maybe we should just focus on making the short pass that is going to get there and and not giving away an offensive zone, um, uh, not giving the puck away in the offensive zone. You know, like those, those little things. And I think what's interesting is that we've started to see This changing a little bit, especially in the last three games here, it seems like guys are kind of settling into their roles and into more of a natural rhythm. It's kind of insane that it's taken 20-some-odd games for that to happen. But here we are.
1: Do you think he was more meaning the play on the ice, keeping it simple, just doing your job? Or do you think there's any sense that perhaps it also might apply to the backseat driving thing? The, hey, just Mm -hmm. focus on your role here as opposed to, you know, just hold the, just hold, just pick the music. <laughs> I'll make the left.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a, a, a great point. I think that there has been a lot of uh, backseat driving in the last, or, I mean, we don't see it a ton um, from where we're sitting, but it, you can kind of tell what's going on, right? Mm. And uh, I think the more people, I, I think from Brujo's perspective, the more people stick to their their own lanes. Let's all just pick a lane and stick in it. Um, every, the traffic flows a lot more smoothly. <laughs>
0: it's a lot less chaotic <laughs> yes, <laughs> when, when, yes. when we do that, Gemma. Few,
2: um, fewer, um, what are they called, fender benders.
0: Yes, absolutely, or, or pileups, as the case may be. Um, the other thing with Bruce Boudreaux, and you know, I thought those comments were interesting, and we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show. I just think he deserves so much credit for managing the situation the team was in, but also the situation he was in specifically, right. With being called out repeatedly by management and not just managing to kind of tread water, but now actually having got on a bit of a streak, having a run of success with the team in very, very challenging circumstances.
2: How many rings have we heard? Um, the Bruce is it is in this, this season. <laughs> like, I think that, People recognize the situation Bruce is in. They recognize what he's doing under pressure, immense pressure, immense pressure. He's not only a guy without a contract next season. He's a guy who's literally being like, called to the carpet by, by the uh, vice president of hockey operations several times. Like that, that's an unusual situation. Um, and he's, he's weathered it deep. And he's starting to, to get the results finally. Um, who knows where it goes from here, but three in a row for the first time this season, you take what you can get. And I think that Bruce has shown a tremendous amount of character. Um, through the first 22 games.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, we're in conversation <laughs> doing our uh, off-the-wire segment here with Gemma Carsten-Smith from the Canadian Press. And speaking of the head coach, I know you've got another uh, clip for from Bruce Boudreau for us, Gemma. He's so quotable. Yeah, so he, he is extremely he's, quotable. He's so quotable.
2: <laughs> the other thing is, he's, he's the one guy who talks every day, so uh, yes, we, yes. we tend to just hear more from him. Anyway, uh, one guy who's been doing his job for most of the season is Elias Patterson, and uh, the head coach was asked earlier this week what other player Peterson reminded him of? He responded by saying, "Nicholas Backstrom." Here's uh, Boudreaux talking about why
1: he, he wants to win. He wants to compete. He wants to he wants to do it all. He does it in a quiet manner, but I mean, it's a uh, it's a very positive manner, both offensively and defensively. Like I mean, to me, uh, you know, if our penalty killing statistics were any better, I would say he that he would be you know right up there in the first quarter for the selkie
0: uh that's pretty high praise from bruce boudreau but i mean we're seeing it backed up on a night-to-night basis right now from Elias patterson patterson aren't we Gemma?
2: oh six game streak nine points in that stretch he's leading the team with 27 points a season he but what i've been most impressed with is honestly his his work defensively um, his work defensively and on the PK, yeah, the P- PK really sucks. It's still the second worst in the league. But I, I don't think that's Pedersen's fault. I think he's been really solid. Um, I think he's just been showing how smart he is as a player, mm. and his reads are so incredible. I've I've been really, really impressed with him defensively this season, and I'm obviously not the only one. I'm not out there uh, saying that he should be uh, at the top of the Selkie voting, but we're still only a quarter of the way through the season.
1: I had an interesting chat with Gemma uh, – with Gemma. I'm having an interesting chat with Gemma. I had an interesting chat with Elias Pettersson following the game when he made the two saves, mm. and I was asking him about playing goal, and uh, and he was talking about how he often got put in net playing soccer as a kid because he was the younger brother who wanted to play. So it was like, sure, if you're in goal. And, and sort of I, – I was trying to see, like, how much does that impact the way that you attack – the opposition on the PK, how, how you're making these plays. And he said, not much, not much, a little bit, but the the thing that he's really trying to do is pick a moment to attack. He doesn't view it as like anticipating what someone's doing. He's trying to attack them at a moment that they're not expecting it, which I hadn't thought of as like, a, as like a way of looking at it. But, but for him, he sort of views it as being aggressive. Does that match what you're seeing in terms of his reads?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it just shows what a smart player he is. Because instead of being reactive, he's being proactive. Mm -hmm. And even on defense, like, we see, I would say that a lot of defense in this league is reactive. And the Canucks defense has been, um, the reaction time has not been cat-like. Like, Like, those are not good reflexes there. Um, So I think that what we're seeing from Pedersen is that being proactive in terms of his defense has really helped um, get ahead of the play obviously and and make moves that we haven't necessarily seen other players on this team make uh, and it, it's it's been a huge boon for a uh, for Patterson, but for the defense
0: as a whole. You know, the other interesting thing with Patterson, Gemma, is we've talked about him as a a potential number one center for a long time. And we're starting to see him kind of round out the resume you need to have to really be that franchise number one center, right? Starting with last year, starting to play on the penalty kill. And now the latest thing is that, you know, Bruce Boudreaux seems to be a lot more willing, at least over these last three games, to use Elias Pedersen against the other team's best lines. In Colorado, it was, uh, you know, a steady dose of Nathan McKinnon and co plus Kale McCarr. Um, you know, it was a little more difficult to tell on uh, on Saturday and Sunday, but how important is that, you know, just for Elias Pedersen's development, but also for the success of the team, if he's able to take on more of that burden?
2: 100%. I think that it's huge for the success of the team, but it's also huge for Patterson because he's like like Boudreaux said, such a competitive guy. He wants to be going out there against the McDavids and the McKinnons of the world. He wants to be playing against the best. He's he's just that competitive. He's that kind of guy. I mean there's still aspects of his game that needs work. He's still not a, a great face off um he's yeah. still not great at face offs, but I mean he's still young and uh he's got he's got so much more well rounded in the last season or so that I, I think that um the growth and the potential there is is just tremendous. It's been really fascinating to watch him um, over the past few years come in as a rookie and just blossom into this guy who's like oh he's a legit candidate for a number one center spot.
0: Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And uh, final clip of the uh, of the segment here for this week is from J T. Miller.
2: Yeah, so some of us, uh, myself included, are more than a little surprised that the Canucks pulled pull out three wins on that uh, road trip. But there are some who say that the team's uh, been building to these victories for a while now. Let's hear uh, Miller's thoughts on why that is.
0: Doing a lot of good things, and the game is coming. And You know, we go back two, three weeks ago, I told you guys it's a process. It's not just going to come that quickly. You know, we're, you know, we're learning as a group and getting better and using our practice time and getting better and learning new things. And, you know, we're putting it out on the ice pretty well right now. So uh, we just like playing a good 60-minute effort games. What's your reaction? What you know? That's a really fascinating comment from J.T. Miller about learning things and applying them on the ice. How do you kind of interpret what he has to say there, Gemma?
2: It's interesting that it's taken this long for it to all coalesce. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's nice to see that it is, and I'm, I hope that it continues because, like I've said so many times, these guys are much more uh, lovely to talk to when they're happy. Um, so just for my job, it's it's nicer when, when people are winning sometimes. Um, but... I think that there's still a lot of room for growth. I think that the next thing that we need to see is some secondary scoring. There's a lot of guys on this roster who haven't been producing. And uh, I think that once they can figure out um, how to pull together 60 minutes where they play offense and defense and everyone's playing offense and defense, um, this could be a team that uh, we're not surprised when they win three in a row.
1: Gemma. Three weeks ago, when the Canucks were saying things like, you know, we're better than this. This isn't who we are. Um, It's, you know, that's one thing because they were 29th in the NHL by point percentage. Um, But to say now five wins in six games, this is who we are when you're, you know, one of the hottest teams in hockey. Do we do we buy that either or are they closer to what they are over the course of the full season or are they better than that, too?
2: I think that there's something in the middle here. I, I think that we're I, the, the things that have been a problem are going to continue be a, to be a problem through uh, stretches of the season. We're going to see more defensive lapses. We're going to see more problems where where depth is an issue um, and guys go down with injury. They're not always going to be outscoring five <laughs> goals every single game. Like these, it's just the cycle of the season and and the way things go. So we're going to see a lot. I'm sorry to break it to you, but there are bleak times ahead. Um, But hopefully we can intersperse some of the sunshine because uh, (laughs) we've seen that uh, they can do it. It's just a question of doing it on a consistent basis. And I think that so much of that is mental. Um, So it's a question of, of can they actually make that mental turn? Can they make this three-game swing here uh, an actual turning point in the season? I I hope so, but I think that uh, based on what we've seen through the first 19 games or so, uh, there are still going to be periods of pain here.
0: Well, and and just to bring it back to Boudreau quickly at the end of our conversation here, Jimmy, you know, that's, that's why I think he deserves so much credit. As you said, so many of the issues have been mental and it looked like those issues were going to take over the season right away. And, you know, Boudreau at least has, has given them a reprieve from that. Again, we'll see where it goes. We'll see if they come up again at some point this year, but I think the coach deserves an awful lot of credit for that.
2: I agree. He's such a a positive person. Uh, I can't imagine what this has done to his poor psyche. Um, over the past few months but to to watch how the team has turned and how they've at least in in their words to us they've remained positive even in some very very dark situations um i think it's really impressive and it starts at the top so that's uh kudos to bruce there
0: uh Gemma, always appreciate the time we'll uh let you enjoy some of the beautiful weather here and we'll chat next week
2: have a great day guys
0: that is Gemma Carsten-Smith from the Canadian Press, of course, joins us every Monday here on the show, running through some of the interesting quotes from the past week. And uh, we heard from we heard from Thatcher Demko, we heard from Bruce Boudreaux, uh, we heard from JT Miller in the course of that. And yeah, as she said, always, uh, all, <laughs> always a little easier to get more out of the guys when uh, things are going well. The JT Miller one is fascinating because... Okay, sure. You're learning. You're, you know, you're you're using your practice time wisely. You guys also played largely together last year. Yeah, I know. There's some new pieces. You had a training camp. You had a preseason. It, it's the kind of thing that I'm not saying it's not true. It's just frustrating to think about the process that
1: leads to that point. You know, just like we have a consistent take that doesn't bend a lot based on short-term results. J.T. Miller does too, right? This is what is so fascinating about chatting with, covering JT Miller, is, you know, if you listen to his comments like when he was signed Mm -hmm. um, in September, right? He talked about, he really told the whole story of the team's post-bubble struggles and and sort of shared this narrative, this consistent thread throughout about who the real Canucks are, right? And for JT Miller anyway, his consistent view of this team is that they're a good team that can beat anyone when they play the right way. That's a consistent thread through years of commentary um, from Miller himself. So when the team got off to the slow start, to his credit, through it, stubbornly, you know, we're better than this. It's close. We're closer than it looks. I know it looks bad right now, but we're really close to getting this thing back on track. And now they have this six-game bump. So JT Miller's going to stunt, and he's going to be like, I've been saying this. I've been telling you we're getting this back on track. Look, here's the evidence, right? Not not that I consider I'm like I'm not in an argument with JT Miller. It's it's that JT <laughs> Miller's like a smart person, a smart hockey player, really good at talking about the game, and he's got this view of this team where their real version, well, is them when they're performing. And by the way, as a player, he's also hyper competitive. Yeah, hyper competitive, but it also helps to believe yes. in what you're doing. You need to believe in what you're doing. Uh I like that. Like I appreciate that there's some narrative heft to J.T. Miller's takes, some consistency, some re- uh, some repetitiveness. Um, you know, J.T. Miller's repetitive because he's trying to develop a theme. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I appreciate that. Uh, genuinely. abiding to uh, solid literary principles. Gen- genuinely. <laughs> J.T. Yeah. Miller.
1: I might disagree with the analysis, but I love the consistency. And I like that there's this coherent narrative that comes from him. About the quality of this team, I think it's a fascinating thing to deco- to cover and discuss. Like, you know what J T. Miller would be really good at? He'd be really good at talking about which players are good, <laughs> which teams are good, and how good are they? And how good are they? And and I've got time for that. Yes, all uh, day. I've got all day
0: for that. J T. Miller could do great media work <laughs> if, when oh, he, he when he chooses to hang him up. He'd if he be if he
1: wants to if he wants to do it, he will be incredible.
0: He will thrive. Um, it is it's a good point to make about the idea of. Not that it's, they don't believe <laughs> just, it. They just have to keep you know, them on tape delay. <laughs> you know, yeah. Sometimes you hear the positivity from a team going through it, and there's a temptation to say, oh, that's just lip service. You know what I mean? They're just they're just saying that because they don't want to say what they really think. But I do, uh, you know, as we talk about the degree to which the Canucks problems have been mental, if you lose that belief that you're talking about with JT Miller, right, that you can beat anyone on your day if you play your game, if you lose that belief, you're hooped. Right? Like, that is a really, really serious situation to be in as a professional athlete uh, as a team. So I don't think it is purely lip service, certainly not from JT Miller. I think, as you said, he's stuck to that. He does believe it, and it probably creates a ton of frustration when he doesn't see it uh, playing out. But for a for a professional athlete you have, at a certain point you have to have that confidence you have to have that underlying belief that you know you're capable you're going to win if you just uh if you go about your business in the correct way. We'll take a quick break here slightly early. Uh more on the other side we were talking about Kuzmenko, Bear, Horvat, throw some other names in there Kyle Burrows, Niels Hoglander. Some of the big decisions uh from key performers up and down the lineup that the Canucks are going to have to make in the next six months or so. Uh, we'll get back into that conversation, what their priorities should be, how they approach the deadline, all of that. You can get your thoughts in 650-650. Uh, it is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of Canucks Talk here on Monday, Sportsnet 650-650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Trance live from the Kintex studio. Before we get back to the Canucks talk, again, I want to tell you about uh, Sportsnet 650 partnering with Match Eatery and Public House for Sportsnet 650 Sunday at Cascades Casino in Delta. You can join Bic, Randeep and the SN 650 squad on Sunday, December 4th. That's this Sunday from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. For all of your marquee matchups, match eatery and public house offers the social traditions of a neighborhood neighborhood pub with the high energy of a sports bar. Stop by for a chance to win a smart speaker. You can grab some SportsNet 650 swag. You can talk sports with Randeep and Bick. You can tell Bick how wrong he is about so many things. You can rip him for big Six. You can do whatever you want. Uh plus we'll have a pair of Canucks tickets and a pair of tickets to the Seahawks game on December 11th to give away match and public house located at the new Cascades casino next to the Massey tunnel. Again, that is this Sunday, December 4th from 1 PM to 5 PM. Keep your thoughts coming in. 650 650 to the Dunbar lumber text line. In, we got into it a little, uh, before we talked to Gemma in the last segment, transfer about, you know, as you, as you run through a lot of the guys who are chipping in, in a big way, uh, on this recent, strength run of success for the Canucks, you know, outside of Elias Petterson, uh, guys who are performing well, you go through the list, and it's Ethan Baer, it's Andre Kuzmenko, you know, Niels Hoglander looks to have found a nice spot on the top line with Bo Horvat and JT Miller. There's a lot of guys who and obviously Bo Horvat is doing his thing. Guys who the Canucks have to make decisions on one way or another in the near future. Guys who are without a contract with the team beyond this year, either as RFAs or UFAs. And so it starts to become, you know, who, which of these guys do you keep? Which do you trade? When do you trade them? What sorts of deals are you looking to do with the ones that you do keep around? Which deals are going to make sense for the team? And it's just a lot to... The thing that's interesting is that it's easy to say, you know, tear it down, trade everyone but i think there's also some opportunities to potentially sign deals with at least some of these players and we'll go through them that can actually give you wins on the contracts right that can that can pay that can carry with them significant future surplus value and make it make sense to actually make the deal even if you are trying to do the take a step back to take a step forward later kind of thing
1: yeah the sorts of like you can make a deal you can have contracts that enhance a player's value right In no world is Brandon Hagel worth two first-round picks, dot, 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 unless he's attached to a three-year, $1 million Mm. contract and you're selling him to a contender, (laughs) right? And by the way, you don't get two first-round picks for Brandon Hagel if there aren't multiple contenders trying to land that contract, right? Like, Brandon Hagel was the most valuable deadline chip last offseason. Brandon Hagel! He's played well again this year, by the way. He's good. But two firsts? Two firsts yeah, is good.
0: Not not the name you expect to see attached to a two first trade at the deadline.
1: But it was his contract, right? And now we're seeing will, will you remind me of the name of the Carolina goaltender that they just oh, paid for 4 years? Kotechkov? I, something like that. Yeah. Kotchkov. But like that's the type of deal. You know, what I like about that bet is it's a floor bet in that even if it doesn't work the worst case scenario is that you're paying market value, right? The median price of a backup goaltender in the NHL, the 48th highest paid goaltender by cap hit this season, $2 million, $2 million. So they peg the median price of a backup goaltender to this four-year bet on, have you looked it up for me, Kachetkov? No. (laughs) I was going to move on, but I'll do it it right now. No, no, no. I want to illustrate a concept. (laughs) I <laughs> know. I wanted you to stop talking about this backup. No, no, no. no I don't care. On. I
0: was just like, uh I'll, I'll
1: save that for another time. Anyways, please. It is Peter Kachetkov. Kachetkov. Okay, so I had it pretty close. It was close. Nailed it. Um, pretty close. Anyway, the bet is at the very. Even if it doesn't work, we are we're paying market value for a backup. And if it does work out and you get, like, a really good starter at $2 million, you are laughing. For a Carolina Hurricanes team that's been happy to just cycle through goaltenders, right? Mrazek and Reimer and um, Nedeljkovic and Anderson and Ranta, right? I mean, they've just been happy to treat the goaltending position like it's fungible. This gives them a chance at stability if it hits. And if the bet doesn't hit, then at least it's market value. Those are my favorite types of bets my absolute favorite types of bets because what's the worst that can happen you pay market value for a, a piece you'd need anyway mm. right you're going to you're going to have a backup goalie you're going to spend on a backup goalie why not worst case scenario your backup goaltender is the guy you've developed in house who didn't quite get to the starter point, to starter yeah. level great i love that i think there's some opportunities to do those types of bets and, and this is sort of what's interesting to me is our markets obviously because we do this really well? This team is probably this is my expectation for the rest of the season. This team is probably going to be good enough to hang around and not good enough to be slam dunk in the playoffs for the next three months, which means that we are going to approach the end of February and it's going to be like, this is a big four game homestand for a team that's still deciding whether or not they're going to sell or not. By the way, this is my nightmare. <laughs> This is my nightmare. This, like, unfocused, short-term results will determine whether this team does the right yeah. thing or not. Wait, it, Based on whether or not we beat, uh,
0: you know whoever, Nashville, on Tuesday, we're either going to trade Bo Horvat oh. or sign
1: him to an eight-year deal. <laughs> That's why I said you want to be in the Bedard mix. It, it required work, right? It required work to get there. Uh, that work wasn't done, and now this team is going to fall into our usual mushy middle pattern of being, like, you know, a ninety-seven point to a hundred and five point pace team through to the deadline. They'll be, you know, Jamie will be saying stuff like they're a point out the week of the Show trade deadline. Show me the lie. Show me the lie. But there's they're gonna they're gonna be a point out, but there's gonna be like three teams between them and eighth. It's like great, wow. Anyway, and and then we're all gonna spend months frothing at the mouth talking about Horvat. Do they or don't they? Right, and then every Saturday night you're going to Horvat and the Canucks recently reignited contract talks. Horvat scored two goals in this game. What is that going to do to the situation? Yeah, Yeah. Horvat. Well, and also this is also going to happen at some point this season, although it's unthinkable from today's vantage point. Horvat hasn't scored in two weeks. Is the pressure of the contract year getting to him? No. It's just inevitable that you go two weeks between scoring sometimes, even if you're as good a goal scorer as Bo Horvat's become. Um, so we're going to do that, and we're going to do the Kuzmenko thing. And we had a good text into the inbox. Someone asked, uh, and I can't remember who signed it, but Jamie might be able to pull it up, yeah, let me see about you. Kuzmenko saying, would you sign him for six million times two today? Mm. I think that was it, six million times Six times, times two, yeah. Well, actually, there was two. Somebody suggested,
0: they said, I think six by two would be like a fair contract for both sides. Somebody else said, would you sign Kuzmenko five by five right now? So those are the two numbers, very different types of deals
1: that we've had come into the inbox. I would do six times two in a heartbeat. I would not do five times five right now. I'm not saying I wouldn't do five times five eventually, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't do it right now. And here's why. Kuzmenko's got a 13% on a shooting clip. 13% in 20 games. Like, there's a real chance that he's not going to be able to sustain a 40-goal, 80-point base over the course of a full season, much less multiple full seasons in his late 20s, into his 30s, right? Two times six, heartbeat, whatever. Whatever, I get some cost certainty there. I know what parameters I'm I'm looking at. But Kuzmenko's not going to do that. Kuzmenko's going to want term. Yeah. He's he's come to the NHL and crushed his one-year audition. This is a this is a home run, cut like his agent Dan Milstein, provocative character, right? I, I want to say like at the you know at, at the best of times, right? He's the he's the agent who wore the um the uh cap circumvention T-shirt on the boat with Nikita Kucherov after the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup. Like great sense of humor, great sense of humor. Not not afraid of controversy, but he tweeted out after Kuzmenko's overtime winner a bunch of bags of money, like six bags of money. Not one bag of money. Six. It's a lot of bags. <laughs> and somebody somebody
0: tweeted, or texted, not tweeted, texted into us, uh, yeah, unsigned. Realistically speaking, Kuzmenko's agent has got to get him uh, to UFA just to see what the offer's out there. Now, you never know, right? It depends on how his, the rest of his season oh. goes and what, what offer the Canucks are willing to make. But there
1: certainly is an incentive to try to maximize this opportunity. He, Kuzmenko's been wined and dined. He knows there are exceptional Joeys in northern Alberta. Like, he knows. Uh-huh. He's been to some of the finest establishments in the continent, including the Joeys. And in also, Edmonton. Joeys. <laughs> no, including. How dare you? <laughs> so, I mean, he's been wined and dined, he's been courted, right? And the Canucks pitched him on the long term in landing his signature originally. So, you know, I do think the Canucks will be in the driver's seat. If I'm them, if I'm them, or or if anyone asks me, what what's your opinion? What should we do? Wait. Wait. Kuzmenko's a hold for me. He's not a guy you need to rush to sign right now. Because, look, if he's a 40-goal-scoring, 80-point guy who's driving play this way, there's no amount that I'm going to be nervous about. Mm. Like, if he does that over 82, and I really believe that's what I'm getting— I'm not worried about paying that player that, that to me is that means he's a first line winger.
0: The other thing, I'm from not that, worried about
1: playing that, paying that player.
0: The other thing from Kuzmenko's perspective is what was the concern from Canucks fans about why he wasn't going to come here. Right. It was Edmonton's going to offer him the chance to play with Connor McDavid early on dry Now Elise Pettersson's not that type of scorer, but he's found a really, really comfortable fit on a top line centers wing compliments him very well. Might be producing. a better fit.
1: Might be a better fit for his game. Yeah,
0: like, he's got a very, very natural fit here, not to mention on the power play. So, from an on-ice perspective, it works from him as well. Hey, like, hey, you can be Elias Pettersson's wingman. Stick around. You get
1: to do that. That sounds like a pretty fun job if you St- stick around here. Y- you got a lot to sell. But for me, it's a hold. Like, what can he do between now and the end of the season that ups his value further? Just sustain what he's already done? Yeah, keep it going. I mean, that that does that even up his value? All that does is up your certainty. Which is why, for me, that would be one that you but don't I, rush to do. But I think as as uh, the Canucks I and need, other teams' you certainty... until and, after January anyway. You do. I think way. it's January 1st yeah.
0: is the earliest you can do it. But as the Canucks' certainty increases, other NHL's teams' certainty will increase, and that does increase his price. Sure. Now, to your point, maybe it's, well, the more certainty I have, the more comfortable I am paying that price, so I don't really care. That's a fair way to do it. But you, I do think there's a chance to... Lock in a little bit more value if you did it early, but not so much, not to the degree where you have to rush on January 1st to sign
1: him. I just want to see if I'm the Canucks, I just want to see what he looks like when that line's not rolling with a 13% on ice shooting clip, right? Like, um, over the course of the past six games, for example, as the Canucks have racked up this 5 1 0 record, uh, and that line has outscored their opposition by seven. <laughs> Um, like their PDOs are in the 1100s. I'm not talking like 108. I'm talking like 116. Right? Like ridiculous stuff. So I just want to see a little more. I'm a little nervous about how much this team's offensive production is overheated at the moment. And I'd be very reluctant to buy on the big ticket items based off of that so that's Horvat that's Kuzmenko mm-hmm. I'd be very reluctant those are By also the, way, the older players
0: yes before we go uh to the other players we were j- kind of joking around about the Horvat situation how it's going to play out leading to the deadline and testament to the mood of our uh, our listenership which is multiple people texted in like you guys are forgetting the obvious situation which is that Horvat gets injured just before the trade deadline oh my god Canucks fans man <laughs> It's like multiple people were like, oh, oh, "Oh, guys, we all know what's going to happen here. He's going to get injured."
1: Canucks fans are so creative at figuring out the worst possible outcome for the yeah, franchise. Figuring it's out what incredible. the gut punch is going to be. No one, no one is as fatalist as Canucks fans. Like if the if the witches in Macbeth met Canucks fans, they'd be like, "Whoa, guys, you're a little creepy. Calm down. <sighs> it's not going to be that bad." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bubble, bubble, toil and Canucks. Yes, yeah, very good. Anyway, with regards to both of those guys, the big ticket items, the older players, both 27, right? At the moment, Horvat turns 28 before the expiry of his contract. Um, You know, I think those are the ones you have to be more careful about, not just because they're going to require more term and more money, but also because, you know, Horvat's shooting 20%. And Kuzmenko's got an on-ice shooting clip of 13%. And there's a real chance, in my view, that this team's offensive profile is, you know, uh, your wife in the other room yelling, I smell burning! And then the alarm goes off, and you realize, oh, right. Maybe you shouldn't have paid such close attention to villanova Valapreso. Is, is this something that happened recently? No. <laughs> just a weird reference for no reason. The Canucks, though, right, have a couple of other guys who, to me, make a little more sense to be players you maybe haggle with proactively because mm. of the Hegel thing. Because perhaps you can find a way to to sign contracts that are valuable, right? To make those Kachetkov-quality floor bets that, that sort of pay out. And, and to me, Bear is like the standout guy for this because, you know, we've seen Bear play a lot of minutes. We've also seen Bear be a regular healthy scratch in a system that didn't really suit him. And now he's come to Vancouver and, you know, is he a top four guy? I don't know. I I, I don't know. Do I think, however, that he can play minutes on a really good team? I do. If you could find a contract that slotted him as a 4-5, to me, I think that's the sort of bet, considering his age, that that could make sense. You know, if you sign him to a sort of modest version of the Tucker Pullman contract, for example, Mm -hmm. I think that's the sort of deal that, you know, if he doesn't hit and he's a 4-5 guy for you, so be it you're paying a 4-5 or five guy market market value, right? A guy who's produced an awful lot more offense than Tucker Pullman had when oh, they yeah. signed that deal and played an awful lot more games. Like, people forget this, but Tucker Pullman, when he signed that deal, he'd only played, like, 140 games, or even less. He'd played, like, significantly fewer games than Madison Bowie. Like, I remember being like, wow, I can't believe. So if you can sign that deal, you know, your worst-case scenario doesn't quite develop. You get a guy who's paid market value to be a third – like sort of a tweener, second, third pair guy. And if he hits and plays top four for you and you get a $2 million top four guy, you know, you could use term perhaps, particularly for a player who's bounced around a bunch, Mm -hmm. in your favor. Especially because Bear specifically wanted to play here in the Pacific Northwest. Specifically because Bear, having seen what life is like in Edmonton and Carolina, loves the big hockey market. Yeah. Like loves the rush of playing in a big hockey market. Loves the way that people care about the game. Wants to be in that environment. That's what he wants. Which, by the way, is a rare
0: quality. Well, and Bear also still only 25. Rachel turned 26 in June. So you, you're not locking in to really drastically post-prime years if you go four years with Ethan Bear, right? And, you know, when they made that deal, one of the things I said was the reason I wasn't necessarily banging the table calling it a home run was because of the issue of his qualifying offer at the end of the year. And if it turned out that he was, you know, quote-unquote, only a third-pairing guy, he was going to get pretty expensive for a third-pairing guy. But if you think he can play minutes for you, like top four minutes for you. Which he's done. Which he's done, and he's looked pretty good doing it. He
1: certainly looked – um, I, I've he's liked, brought a very different quality. Let's put it that way than what I, the rest of the Canucks. do. has. I've liked his game, despite the fact that I don't think he's been at his best, and that is not a negative for me. That's like he's mm. been. He's, he's been. He was room to do more. He's been probably their second most effective, second or third most effective defenseman since he came into the lineup, and that's with some puck management issues, in my opinion, sort of plaguing him throughout. Right? Like, okay, that's great. That's something that's pretty easy to fix. Like that, you know, I don't think he's going to keep turning the puck over at a a really high rate. He keeps retrieving the puck. He gets you moving in the right direction. He's contributing some offense. He can activate and seize fourth man's ice. He can do all the things that this defensive group can't otherwise. Anyway, here's the other logic, too, on being proactive with Bear. Bear, the longer Bear spends logging minutes, major ones, and being productive for this team and being a key reason they're winning the more time he spends bolstering his own arbitration case. So if you can nip that in the bud and offer a player stability and a meaningful path to a top four role and, and, you know, use term to keep the cap hit down. I mean, for me, that might be almost one of the first deals that I'd see the team consider, particularly in the context of trying to turn it around quickly. Right? Like worst case, uh, worst case scenario. Again, you've got a guy who can contribute at a, you hope efficient cap hit, um, if he doesn't develop, if he does develop, you've got a guy who's providing you significant surplus value or or a really good trade chip. for if you decide you have to change direction more dramatically because of how the team performs in the coming months. Um, Hoaglander's the other one for me. Now, now Hoaglander... Yeah, that, an, and people have texted in a couple times about, does Hoaglander fit into this category of guys? We really need to see. So, Hoaglander doesn't have arbitration rights, which makes him materially different, right? There is a little bit less of a, uh, there's a little bit less of an incentive to do it as quickly, uh, particularly because you can just grind them all summer <laughs> and like, and like dare them to miss training camp and players hate doing that. And, you know, if you want to just do a one year show me deal, like if you want Nils Hoaglander for like a million dollars next year, you can go get it. Mm. It's just that you'll then have to repeat the process with a player who's less enthused about dealing with you. Right. And who's closer and closer to having the arbitration rights and the ultimate walker uh, walk away leverage as you go through the path of your restricted free agent gauntlet on the way to becoming a 26 year old uh free agent the way that he would be on pace to do production wise you know if you're doing like a three-year deal if you're doing like a bridge type length with a player like hoaglander uh, i think you're looking at philip Heedle and De- uh, and uh, dylan dubay as sort of comparables right the, the, one of the issues that's the Canucks are going to bump into doing a Hoaglander contract is that he was so productive in that first season yes right that um you know that's going to really up his points per game now if his platform year is really disappointing he's probably going to struggle to get up to 2.5 like Heedle but still you know 1.9 to 2.2 in in about that range and that's that's assuming that he doesn't you know maintain a role on Miller and Horvat's wing which he very much should by the way and if he does that he's going to get you know, he's going to produce five-on-five. Five, like, he is, for sure. So, you know, Hoaglander's another guy, too, where, you know, market price market price for a really good middle six-winger like Anilia Mikheyev, right, is $4.5 Do you think Hoaglander can be that player? Probably not defensively. Not as unique in terms of the speed. Mm-hmm. But, Ken, if you think there's a chance that he can be an everyday middle six player for you.
0: Well, and I would say with Ho- Hoaglander, not just necessarily a middle six player, but a guy who can complement the high-end sure. players in a way that maybe Mikhaev
1: didn't, wasn't able like to do Like a pint-sized heavy press. Yeah. Sure. Recover I, the puck, get it to the really high school. A pocket place. press. I'm going to call him that. He's a pocket press. There you go. All right. But, yeah, so if you think he can be that, would it make sense to consider doing something like Six years, three million. Would you consider that for Hoaglander? I would consider it. Absolutely. If he's willing to do that, right? Because
0: then what do you, I think you're buying two UFA years at that point. So you're getting him to like 28. Yep. That's not a bad length of time to have a player. Now that's a pretty specific bet. And the thing that would concern me a little bit, and this is a short-term problem, but it still plays into it, is Bruce Boudreaux and the way he's used him.
1: Right. that That is the fly in the ointment. If
0: it's hey, we've got a guy here that organizationally we lo- we really like. Yeah, the production isn't eye-popping, but we like him to compliment these top players, and we're going to make a bet on that skill set because we know we're going to use him there. I have a lot of time for that. When there starts to be the question about, well, what's his role actually going to be? Is he going to be scratched? Does the coach want to scratch him after we've just signed him to this long-term deal at a fairly hefty number? That starts to concern me a little bit more.
1: Yeah, and, and so just big picture, like I think Bear... Burroughs, I'd add Burroughs here too, and Hoaglander are three really interesting candidates to make smart floor bets on. You know, Burroughs is a local guy. He's never signed a one way NHL contract. That to me is like a perfect opportunity to go and, you know, uh, three years the the, the Curtis Lazar deal. Mm. Like, you know, ape the Curtis Lazar deal. And it's like, worst case scenario, you're just paying like a really good right handed defender who can also play the left side who like clearly likes it here. You know, like what what's the worst thing that happens? Isn't
0: Burrows though the ultimate like the fantasy hockey thing of trade him at the deadline and then try to sign him in the summer? Um, yeah, maybe, but like,
1: yeah, and and by the way, I think you be can clear, put Luke Shen in that to category. To, to, as well. to be clear, what do I think this team should do to try and you know uh, win a cup in the next five years? I still think it's shop everybody who's expiring anyway, but realistically realistically if you're if you're not going to take that path if you're going to try and bet on your ability to keep finding Kuzmenkos and Lazars and Bears qual- and, and quality and and Joshua frankly quality players right to sort of fill in the gaps better and reset the decks by losing non-contributing players on big contracts uh, we had a texter text in like one thing about this season is they haven't missed Tanner Pearson at all or this run mm-hmm. it's kind of a good take You know, if you're going to try and shed money that way, you know, I think it's going to be tough. But if that's what you're looking at, why not get some cost certainty on some guys who could provide surplus value and just wait to see what you're able to clear first before committing the sort of term and treasure that Kuzmenko and Horvat will require?
0: That's a wrap for us today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for texting in. The Hockey PDO cast with our guy Dmitry Filipovich is up next. We'll be back tomorrow. It is Sportsnet 650.